Let me pray for us as uh, uh, before as we come to this passage this morning. Let me pray and ask for God's help. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just simply pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus this morning. And we pray that the things of this world would would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Lord, we, we need your help to do that. So by your spirit, through your word, would you speak to us and show us Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, well, uh, do keep that passage open up in, in front of you. And this morning, we're going to be thinking a lot about covenants this morning, covenants. And covenants is a word that we don't really use that much today, unless you're buying a house or happen to be a lawyer. Um, maybe you probably would use it quite a lot. So what do we mean by the word covenants? Here's a definition. A simple definition, boiling it down to its simplest thing. A covenant is when two people choose to be in a relationship and make binding promises to one another. Binding promises. Um, here's an everyday example that we might be a bit more familiar with. Marriage. Marriage is a, a covenant. What happens when two people get married? Well, they choose to be in relationship with each other and they make binding promises to each other before God and, uh, and all their friends and family. That's a covenant. And a covenant, uh, hopefully, as, as, you, as, we, as uh, Margaret read through this chapter so well for us, is right at the heart of, of this passage. Um, the word itself is just used a couple of times in verse 8 and verse 16, but the, the concept of covenant runs right throughout, as we'll see. Uh, and it's a long passage, an epic read, as we've said. Um, but uh, before we kind of get into it, it's helpful to, certainly from my point of view, to, to kind of get our heads around the shape of the narrative a little bit, to, to, to see how the drama here unfolds into four scenes. So scene one, we've got... And from verses 1 to 11, Jonathan and David debating the danger. And then from verse 11 to 23, Jonathan and David in the field, uh, reaffirming covenant promises to one another and working out their elaborate archery signalling system and their plans. And then scene three, we move to to the feast table for this new moon celebration. Uh, Saul's there, Abner's there, everyone's there apart from David, where's he? And then finally, scene four, we're, we're back in the field um, and David and Jonathan make their emotional goodbyes and part in peace. So that's the kind of the shape of the narrative if you like, in those four scenes. And, and it's helpful to have that in our minds as we as we go through this morning. Because what I want us to do is focus in particular on this covenant that we see between Jonathan and David. And I want us to see what this covenant provides. Uh, one thing that this covenant provides for them. And I want us to see two things that this covenant is marked by. 
and then uh, we'll we'll draw it all together and 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 see what this covenant points us towards and what it all means for us today. So enough waggling on the tea. First of all, uh, this this covenant that we see between David and Jonathan here in, in 1 Samuel 20, we see this is a covenant that provides a refuge in the midst of uncertainty. This is a covenant that provides a refuge in the midst of uncertainty. So chapter 20 begins with David afraid for his life. And to understand why he's afraid for his life, we we just have to look back over the the previous chapters to get the context of it. Uh, Chapter 19 ends with Saul portrayed as, frankly, a pretty pathetic figure. He's lying stark naked and not really compassmentous. Is Saul among the prophets, onlookers say in, in verse 24 of chapter 19? But they say it with with biting irony and sarcasm. They're laughing at him. And actually, that shows how far he's fallen, because back in chapter 10, these exact same words are uttered of Saul in amazement. Chapter 10, verse 12. Is Saul also among the prophets as 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 Saul, the newly empowered by the spirit, newly anointed king, joins with with those prophesying? Um, and people say in amazement, is Saul also among the prophets? Well, here it's, it's a completely different story. And over uh, the last few weeks, we've seen in chapter 18 and 19, Saul has tried to pin David to the wall with his spear three times. He's tried to send David on such dangerous missions that he's hoping he'd be killed even demanding that David get 100 Philistine foreskins as a bridal price. What a romantic, hey? Three times in chapter 19, he hatches schemes to do away with with David. And each time they fail. So you can understand David's fear of Saul. Chapter 20, we see David wanting to know what's going on, wanting to try and understand why Saul's got it in for him. But notice, in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the fear, he's, he's fleeing for his life. Who does he go to? He heads to Saul's son and heir, Jonathan. Now, on the face of it, that seems a pretty bonkers thing to do, doesn't it? The son of your enemy, how can that possibly be a good idea? Well, He knows it's safe. He has complete trust in Jonathan because of the covenant that they've made together before the Lord. They'd already made solemn promises, firm commitments with the Lord as as witness and and guardian back in, in chapter 18. And those promises, that covenant is, is now a bastion of refuge and security, Dale Ralph Davis says in, in his, his commentary. Amidst the danger and uncertainty that he faced all around him, this covenant is a bastion of refuge and security for David. But more than that, have a look at verse 8. See what David expects 
of Jonathan. See what David expects of Jonathan. 1 Samuel 20 verse 8. As for you, David says, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. Show kindness. The word kindness here in our NIVs is, is, is the translation of the Hebrew word hesed, which is a really beautiful and important word. It's, it's used more than 250 times in, in the Old Testament, and it carries the idea of love and compassion, of kindness and mercy. But bolted alongside that, there's additional connotations of reliability, of loyalty, of, of faithfulness. So very often it's translated as steadfast love, bringing those, those kind of two things together. So this word hesse, the kindness here, it's not just love, it's loyal love. It's not just kindness, it's dependable kindness. Isn't that great? Isn't that a beautiful phrase? So do you see how precious this is for David? The covenant he's in with Jonathan, because of that covenant, he can expect dependable kindness, loyal love. Even in the midst of the chaos and danger of him fleeing for his life and not knowing what the future has in store, he can grab hold of kindness and security that's bound up in, in his covenant that he'd made with Jonathan before the Lord. So David entrusts himself to his friend and he asks him for his loyal love. And he's able to do that precisely because their covenant is a place of refuge and security and dependable kindness. So they concoct their plan, as, as, we, as we read, to suss out what's going on in, in Saul's mind through this elaborate archery um, scheme. So the first thing I want us to see about this covenant is, um, is that it's a place of refuge and security. It provides refuge and security for them, even in the midst of the chaos around but secondly, I want us to see that this covenant is marked by loyal love. It's marked by loyal love. So scene two in the story, they head out to the field together, presumably not to be seen or, or overheard. And in verses 12 to 17, they, they reaffirm the covenant that they made with each other, make solemn promises together. And Jonathan commits himself to show the loyal love, the dependable kindness that David has asked for. Using strong words, have a look at verse 13. But if my father intends to harm me, may the Lord deal with Jonathan be ever so severely if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. So it's incredible. This, this covenant is marked by loyal love. But I, but I want us to see that there's something radically counterintuitive, countercultural, if you like, about this covenant. And to see that, we need to remember who it is that's, that's making this promise to David. This is the son of the king. This is Jonathan, the, the crown prince, 
making promises to his father's enemy. Politically, strategically, this would be madness from the point of view of everyone else around at the time. Lesson one in the Being King for Dummies textbook is bumping off threats to your throne and all their family and all their friends. It's a no-brainer. But what we see with David and Jonathan is that Jonathan hands over his rights to the throne to David. That's that's what happened in in chapter 18, verses 1 to 4, as he symbolically hands him his cloak and his sword. He's handing over his right, his claim to the throne. And here, now in chapter 20, he's reaffirming that and, and he's promising to protect him too. Why? Because he knows that David is God's anointed king. And so Jonathan willingly submits himself to God's authority. He seeks first God's kingdom. In fact, what we see throughout this chapter is Jonathan putting God's king, God's word, God's kingdom first. It's extraordinary, isn't it? And Jonathan, we see here, has an eye for the future here as well. He, he knows that the, the roles will soon be reversed. David will be king. And again, he knows what happens when regimes change. What happens when regimes change? Usually there's a purge of enemies and their children and their friends. And you, you get the idea. But it's, it's basic politics, back to being king for dummies textbook stuff, isn't it? But yet, what we see here is, is more extraordinary, countercultural, loyal love, this time from David, who commits to protecting Jonathan and his family. Something that, again, would have been seen as, as foolishness by the received kind of cultural wisdom and um, politics. But yet, such as the extraordinary counterintuitive, countercultural, loyal love held out in this covenant uh, commitment to each other and the Lord. It defies all conventional wisdom and, and all expectations. It's amazing, isn't it? So this covenant provides refuge and security. It's marked by loyal love. And thirdly, it's a covenant that is marked by selfless, costly sacrifice. So we're changing scene again, this time to the feasting table. Saul's there in his normal seat. Abner's there. Jonathan's there. But David's seat is empty. As they're tucking into their volumons and pigs in blankets. Maybe not not particularly kosher for them, but whatever would have been their party food for um, the new moon festival. Saul is silently wondering to himself where David might be. Maybe he's made himself ritually unclean somehow, so that's why he's not here. That's that's what he thinks in in his mind, which is crazy, isn't it? I mean, he's been trying to pin him to the wall with a spear and tried to kill him numerous times and, and and yet that's not what he goes to as the reason why David's not there anyway but day two 
of this important festival. David would have been expected to be there and he's still not there. And so the king asks his son, Jonathan, where is he? And Jonathan says exactly as, as David asked him to do. And then flick a switch and Saul explodes with rage. You can, you can just imagine it. Him instantly turning beetroot, apoplectic, veins bulging, erupting like a volcano at this. Have a look at verse 30 and 31. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Hang on. Yeah, I don't know about the woman, maybe the perverse and rebellious man. That's anyway. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As soon as long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Extraordinary words from from Saul. Uh, Notice he can't bring himself to say David's name. Son of Jesse, he calls him twice here. And actually he uses horrifically graphic language it's kind of lost in translation a bit here but this is language that is not becoming a king not becoming a king of God's people especially but do you see what he's saying do you see why he's he's so angry at heart he's so angry because Jonathan doesn't see things the way he does Jonathan's priorities are altogether different Saul is saying to his son, Jonathan, if David lives, you and your kingdom will never be established. Doesn't that move you to act? Doesn't that matter to you? It's a hugely pivotal moment, massively significant. And Jonathan here has a huge choice to make. There can be no compromise here. What's he going to do? Who's he going to side with? His father or his friend? Well, as we've read, he remains unwaveringly faithful to his covenant promises with David, even at the cost of his relationship with his father. There's huge cost here for Jonathan, keeping the promises that he'd made to David. Reminds me of Jesus's words hundreds of years later than this. Luke 14, verse 26, Jesus said this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Hugely strong words, aren't they? But I wonder, is there a better example of of that than what we see here of Jonathan? in 1 Samuel chapter 20. Well, that verse in Luke uh, is Jesus' kind of typical way of using really dramatic words to to make a point. Jesus is, is talking about priorities and primary allegiances, if you like. Who or what is is number one in our heart and in our lives? And for Jonathan, it's clear, isn't it? Jonathan puts God's chosen king, God's word, God's kingdom first. And that is costly for him. That is selfless 
that involves huge sacrifices for him. No, no less than giving up his claim to the throne, even. Tim Chester, in his um, book on, on 1 Samuel, points out that there's, there's wonderful irony here as well. Um, by Jonathan giving up the future of his house, he gains its future under David's protection, as David has promised on oath for him to do. So Jonathan here is binding his future to David, to, to God's chosen rescuer and king. It's staggering, isn't it? What a moment this is. And so as, as, we've, as we've read, the story ends after their elaborate archery signalling, um, messaging with David and Jonathan's emotional farewell back in the field and ends with Jonathan telling him to, to go in peace which on one level is a pretty striking thing to say as the situation is anything but peaceful. Mad King Saul wants him dead. But it's not just platitudes from Jonathan. It's a statement on their relationship, on, on their covenant, that even amidst the turmoil, the two of them are at peace with one another. And so the very last words of this chapter end on this poignant note as they as they go their separate ways not knowing if they're going to see each other again or what's going to happen next and those kind of things so it's a really dramatic story isn't it but what does it all mean for us well often what gets picked up on in in one samuel is is jonathan and david's friendship and whilst there are legitimate questions we can ask ourselves about our own friendships. So, for example, maybe we need to be asking, who is the Lord asking us to love with this kind of dependable kindness? Are our friendships um, that sort of characterised by, by self-sacrifice and, and by loyal love? Or are we in our friendships for what, what we can get? challenging things but I think there's 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 deeper things going on here than just talk about friendship rather than being simply a good friend Jonathan here is is showing us what it looks like to be a disciple of he's showing us what it means to follow the Lord Jesus and we've teased out lots of things already but at heart what is most striking to me what what jumps out most to me is is that jonathan puts god's chosen king god's word god's kingdom first in mark 8 uh, mark 8 34 to 35 jesus says this he called the crowd to him with the disciples and said whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. That's Jonathan's experience. That's, that's what we see lived out in, in 1 Samuel. He, he laid down his rights and, and his kingdom 
for God's king and for God's kingdom. There's something very John the Baptist about it. He must increase. I must decrease. And there's something so profound and important for us here. And Dale Ralph Davis, in his commentary on on 1 Samuel, says that uh, Jonathan knows what true life is all about. Jonathan knew that true life is not found in securing ourselves and, and our own little kingdom, but in seeking first God's kingdom. And actually, there's something profoundly liberating in giving away our claims to, to, to authority over our future and instead entrusting ourselves, entrusting our future to God. Actually, that's the heart of discipleship, of following Jesus. And it's a massive challenge for us, isn't it? And actually, what we see in, in the book of 1 Samuel is the alternative to that as well the opposite and the alternative is perfectly illustrated by Saul we've we've seen already in our studies in 1 Samuel that he's not a man after God's own heart but he is all consumed and obsessed with his own kingdom not God's and the fruit of that is is what we see in these chapters jealousy being ruled by fear and insecurity, being desperate to cling on to power at any cost. And we need to ask ourselves, how, how, where do we see those things in our lives, in, in our hearts? Where's the, where are we jealous? Where are we insecure? Perhaps at work or with friends or in family life or in church. And as we think of Jonathan's example, it, it forces us to, to ask ourselves too, what's, what's our driving ambition and passion? To make a mark for ourselves or to seek first his kingdom? I wonder, are there things that we need to give up on in order to make Jesus number one priority in, in our lives? Are there things that perhaps we're holding on too tightly to? Well, they're challenging questions and I've just thrown them out at you. There's lots to, to be thinking about here and perhaps um, home groups might be a good place to, to do that. But here's the big thing I want, I want us to, to see as we kind of draw everything together. Here's the big thing. The reality is we're not going to make any progress dealing with jealousy or being a control freak and those kinds of things until we know the kind of security and peace that comes from covenant relationship. Until we know that that this covenant here in 1 Samuel 20 points us forward to another covenant. David and Jonathan's covenant points forward to a greater covenant, a new covenant, as the writer of the Hebrews puts it, and points us to the Lord Jesus himself. Hebrews 9 verse 15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal 
inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant if we're christians today when we're not just in a relationship with jesus we're in a covenant relationship with him and just as david and jonathan's covenant was a place of security and refuge so ours is but eternally so eternally so we are ransomed. We, we, it's done. We have been set free from the consequences and power of sin. We are secure in, in covenant with, uh, with Jesus for all eternity. Even amidst the turmoil and uncertainty around us here and now, there is refuge and security for us in God's loyal love, in his dependable kindness, in his faithful, devoted love. And this new covenant, too, is marked by loyal love and by self-sacrifice, but to an infinitely greater degree. Jonathan laid aside his birthright, risked the rejection of his father. Jesus laid aside his majesty, too, gave up everything for us. Paul in Philippians 2 said that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being found in appearances as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the epitome of of countercultural loyal love and self-sacrifice, isn't it? He poured out his love for you and for me. And so we have this extraordinary covenant with our Lord Jesus that brings us peace, that, that, that brings peace between us and God, not because of anything we have done, but all because of Jesus. And even though things may well not be peaceful around us, we may well be in turmoil. But we have peace with God and anchor for us in those storms. We are right with him. We know that we are loved with this loyal love, dependable kindness, and nothing can ever take that away from us as his blood has won us that peace and won us that eternal security. So it's when we are captivated by our Lord Jesus, with our Lord Jesus, that, that we can stop being captivated by ourselves. It's, it's when we are captivated by our Lord Jesus and experiencing that security that comes from this covenant that we can then show that loyal love and dependable kindness to others around us too well let's pray as uh, as we finish i've gone on too long um, as we pray i'm going to use the words from um the song oh great god uh, and use take them as a prayer for us 
So let's pray together. Oh, great God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart. Own it all and reign supreme. Conquer every rebel power. Let no vice or sin remain that resists your holy war. You have loved and purchased me. Make me yours forevermore. Help me now to live a life that's dependent on your grace. Keep my heart and guard my soul from the evils that I face. You are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed. O great God of highest heaven, glorify your name through me. Through. Amen.